That's what I really, what I do is I sell a perspective. I sell a different idea, the kind of idea that you've not heard before. And it gets you to think about, huh, I need to do my own thinking about that. That makes, that's interesting. I, you know, and provoke people to do their own research about things. The oil and gas industry, the driving engine of the world economy, delivering prosperity, innovation, and abundance across the globe. Here are the stories of its key players, directly from the leaders themselves. This is Bulwark's Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, where real experiences are passed on from the leaders of today to the leaders of tomorrow. Here is your host, Paige Wilson. Welcome to this week's episode. I'm sitting here with my guest, Mark Mathis, president of Clear Energy Alliance. How are you, Mark? I'm doing great. How are you? Well, well, we're um, drinking right before, well, the happy hour is actually going on right now, the OGGN happy hour. And we, Mark LaCour brought us drinks. So I can't really complain. No complaints here. Well, and I'm I'm glad you finally made it. You had quite the uh, trip today. It just seems like it's happening more and more often. You know, you're catching a flight out and, and there was a rainstorm. And so I missed the connection. And anyway, it took a long time to get here, but we're here. Yay for the South. <laughs> Anyhow, before we get into it, I wanted to please ask one to support the show by taking a few minutes to leave a review on iTunes and thank you in advance. Before we really dive deep into your current role, let's kind of discuss how you began in this industry. Or before that, to get up to that point. Yeah, and I, you know, I tell people that I'm not really my industry. I'm in the communications industry. You know, I was a television news reporter for about ten years. I mean, that's my background. I graduated with a broadcast journalism degree. Got out, was worked in in TV stations as a news reporter and anchor in states like New Mexico and California and South Carolina, Nevada, and then got out and started my own media relations company. So I've been in the communications business my whole life as a consultant, as a filmmaker, and now producing short-run videos on energy issues. So I do a lot of stuff that's connected to explaining things connected to oil and natural gas as an energy source, but I wouldn't say I'm part of the industry. I would almost tend to disagree. (laughs) Okay. And just for the audience's sake... We interviewed Mark earlier for the oil and gas HSE podcast. So be sure, and I'll make sure to put a link in the show notes for everyone to go and kind of get a feel on how that relates to HSE. But so in communications, and I'm a huge fan of documentaries, by the way. So let's kind of discuss all those documentaries and kind of explain what they're about and what what you had to do to to make them. Yeah, it's a it's a tough business and it's one of the reasons that I'm making short videos now because it's so difficult to to do documentary films and things keep changing so quickly. As you know, as somebody who's doing podcasts, I mean everything just keeps just moving rapidly and you're trying to catch up and keep up. And things that were true when I was at first involved in my first documentary film are not true today. Mhm. So the first film that I got heavily involved in was called Expelled, No Intelligence Allowed with Ben Stein. Mm -hmm. This is Bueller, Bueller, Ben Stein. And uh, Win Ben Stein's Money. 
That film was all about Darwinism and intelligent design. Very, I mean, people on both sides of that issue, super animated about the subject, Uh, especially the people who were, who don't like intelligent design as an idea. Uh, Mm -hmm. Very much committed to the atheistic, Darwinistic approach to somehow life began on earth. And then it evolved with no software, no programming and ultimately became the highly complex world that we have today. Uh, most academics, most biologists, they, that's the belief system. And so that film was all about how if you didn't hold that position, if you thought that, that because of mathematics, because of uh, all, all different kinds of inputs, that it didn't make sense for there to be no software, no designer behind the design, if you were from that position, you would be exiled that the power brokers of academia would come after you and end your career, Mm. uh, which happened to quite a few people who were part of the film. Right. So it was really controversial. The New York Times hated it. Of course. Uh, (laughs) I forget what they called it. Something like uh, the most, uh, I don't know, terrible documentary film ever made. I think it was. I'm not sure. Something like that. So that was my first entry point to documentary film. And experiencing that one, seeing how documentary films are made, I had this idea because I had already been consulting in the energy sector and I thought, you know what? Somebody needs to do a film on oil. The, not the kind of film that you expect to see, the kind of film that has been done many times over as in oil is an evil scourge on the planet, but that oil is an essential life-giving resource that creates the modern world and sustains it. So the premise of that film is spoiled, that we are not addicted to oil, addictions being things that destroy your life, but we are spoiled by all the things that oil does for us. Absolutely. Well, nobody had ever really tried to make that case in a film. And really not very many people had tried to make that case in a book just a handful of people, a guy who fellow Houstonian, um, no longer with us, Michael Economides. Mm-hmm. I interviewed him in the film. Oh, wow. And loved Michael Economides. Met with him many times. He went, I wound up speaking at a number of conferences with him. Another guy, well, he lives, he's all another Texan, a guy named Robert Bryce, mm-hmm. who is a prolific writer of, uh, of good energy books. Uh, he's also in the film. And we tried to interview all different kinds of experts for that film that were you know, some of the smartest people about oil in particular, but also energy. And it was, it was great fun, really difficult thing to do. Why is that? It's incredibly difficult, number one, to find funding. Most documentary films, the vast majority of documentary films are big economic losers because of what it takes. Even though the price of, of making a film has come down, it's still incredibly difficult to do one well with uh, a good production value, well-written, well-done, all, all the different components that go to go into it, music and art, and to make it so that it's not just a boring film, that it just costs money. Right. And so that's, the, that's one of the parts that's so difficult. And then when you're, you're typically trying to do these things on a really restricted budget, everything that you do, you're watching money. It's, it just makes it really draining. So you wind up wearing multiple hats, doing different things, you know, trying to, to go on a shoot and not having a sound man. So having one of your 
camera guys double as a sound man, just little things like that. And then wind up, then you wind up getting bad sound. You know, I can remember when we shot spoiled, there were interviews that we wound up having, you know, big challenges because, you know, it wasn't the camera guy's fault. It really was not his thing. Yeah. It's not his niche. Yeah. And so we would wind up with an interview where we would have a hum and, you know, then we have to go, go into post-production and try to figure out, can we extract this and make the interview usable? (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) And it's all just because of a money issue. Yeah. Uh, And it just, it just drains you. So, so that was like the biggest thing. It wouldn't, the interviews and finding out the facts. That was the fun part. That was the enjoyable part. I mean, wow. You're just going out and interviewing really smart people about stuff. We're going in with your own ideas about what this film's going to be and then watching it unfold and see it twist and turn into something different. To have a film that is essentially f- almost finished, you're 95% there, and then something big happens. Deepwater Horizon blows up. Oh my goodness. And it is the big story. And you've just essentially finished a film on oil and you don't have that. So, you know, I had to go back to investors and say, look, if we don't make this part of the film, a sizable part of the film, we are instantly going to be dated and selling yourself short, quite frankly. Yeah. And so it's going to cost us time and money. Thankfully, I had investors who said, look, you got to do what you got to do. And so we went out and we ultimately, I didn't think this would happen. I thought it would cost us maybe, you know, four or five months, but it wound up costing us really a year because we were trying to, to run the documentary film circuit in film festivals. Well, you have to get your film in, you know, months before the festival. Mm. And we knew we figured a film like spoiled would not make it, but we wanted to try. Right. So we, Sent spoiled into a lot of the big film festivals, you know, Tribeca and, you know, Hot Docs in Canada. There were quite a few that we, we sent the film to and were summarily rejected. But an interesting thing happened along the way. Our film was not accepted to Hot Docs, but they put us in a screening room where they take films that are good, really good sometimes, but for whatever reason, they don't get accepted. And you got to know that the people who are judging these documentary films are mostly coming from an ideological point of view that does not align with the message of spoiled. So you get kicked out probably most of these festivals. We probably got kicked out in the first five minutes, maybe even less. But they put us in this uh, screening room at Hot Docs as a good film that didn't make the film festival. Well, within a couple of days of that happening... We were approached by several different sales agencies that wanted to rep the film, including some really big ones. Really? Yeah. So interesting. So that the economics became part of it. They thought this film can really sell. And so I spent a lot of time. We ultimately wound up, wound up signing with a company that I grew to hate and oh uh, we disclaimer didn't, we didn't sign with the big one that i don't know i, I the reason i thought we were going to get lost mm-hmm. typically how these things were sold at the time is they would bundle you with you know 15 20 other films and then they would approach a buyer and say okay you know here's our our you know this grouping and i thought you know we deserve to be sold really sold and not just thrown in with a group 
And so anyway, well, who knows, you know, you look back, did I make the right decision? I don't know. But, and so then I, what I want, wound up doing was independently taking the film to theaters, mostly across the West, just because I couldn't raise enough money to get East. Hmm. But we went to all different kinds of cities from, you know, Denver to uh, Southern California, cities in all across Texas, Houston, Midland, Austin, you know, Albuquerque, you know, Billings, Montana, showing the film. Yeah. And we would do it. They call it in the, in the industry, they call it a four wall. Mm-hmm. So we would essentially rent our time at the theater and we would get like typically it'd be nine shows in the dead part of the week for theaters, which is Tuesday through Thursday. Yeah. So I would fly into town wherever we were going on Monday, Monday, uh, typically maybe I'd have a speech. I'd have some kind of media engagement. And then Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we would have three shows per day. I would introduce the film at the theater. I would then leave and go do something then come back. And then I would do 20 minutes of Q and a afterwards. And then we would sell DVDs and then we would do it all over again for the next show. And we, and I did three shows a day, three days a week, nine shows. Very door to door. Wow. Yeah, no. And, and, and fun and interesting in that thousands of people, literally thousands of people and, but incredibly draining because I did this over a period of a year. And so I would, you know, fly back on Friday and then I would fly back out sometimes Sunday or Monday. And then we would do the same thing in another city for three days. One Mm -hmm. of the really fun things that happened though especially if we were in a city that had oil and gas production, you know, a city like Denver, a city like Midland, Texas, we would go in and on a Tuesday night, we would have Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday Mm -hmm. night, we would have more people watching spoiled Mm -hmm. than were in the, let's say it was like a, you know, one of the big plexes with 18, you know, 20, 24 screens. There would be more people watching spoiled than in all the other theaters really? combined. That's awesome. We'd be sold. We'd be sold sold out or near sold yeah. out. We'd have a couple hundred people. But it's really, in the theater, it's it's kind of dead. Yeah. So during the week. So you might have two people, three people, six people, five people. And because I had not that much to do, I would leave my, after the film started, I would then walk around and count people. Okay. And so many times, over and over and over, we would... We would have more people watching Spoiled than, than every other theater combined. That was a lot of fun. That's really awesome. So after Spoiled, you had another one, didn't you? Yeah. So after Spoiled, I made another film called Fractured. Oh, play on words. And play on words, yes. And the whole idea behind Fractured was that, yes, we were playing on hydraulic fracturing, sort of as a, you know, in the name, trying to draw interest, yes. But the really the thrust of the film is that, our language that we use when we talk about energy is fractured. It's so fractured, so broken, that most of the, the words and phrases that we use when we talk about various aspects of energy are highly misleading. So we use fracking as, as one of those. We're you know, talking about how, you know, the really the way that it's used by the people who don't like the oil and gas industry. Well, it's, it's, it's similar to another word we know that yeah. we can't say. Absolutely. Thanks, Apple. <laughs> Thanks, iTunes. So and it, really, it really upsets me that it, it's taken that way and nobody defends it. Yeah, no, and then that's what we wanted to do was defend it. We just say, wait a minute here. Let me, let's, let's explain to you how important 
this technology is. When you combine hydraulic fracturing and horizontal drilling, you have a innovation, a series of innovations that saved the U.S. economy. We were heading into a freefall. Our import rate of foreign oil was approaching 70%. And the entire world production was most of the, all of the oil analytics groups around the world were saying peak oil's here, we're, it, it's in decline. It's, it's here. I mean, the, the peak oilers were mocked forever and then suddenly, oh wow, this is peak oil. And it's not coming back. And then horizontal drilling and hydraulic fracturing unleashed the shale revolution and everything turned around. And so with short of that, we would be relying on Iran and Iraq, Venezuela, mm-hmm. Russia to supply us with the oil that we need. And you, so you jack up the price of oil to you know three and four times what it is today. Imagine all of the, the trade surplus, the, the trade not surplus, okay. you know, the opposite of the trade surplus, <laughs> the trade deficit, all of that money flowing to mostly to countries that don't like us, right. that are hostile to Western values. So you're greatly enriching them. Our trade surplus is thrown into, into, into huge imbalance. How do we manage our economy? How do we manage our national defense? Yeah. Uh, Really, we were, I mean, I was at the time, as I was making Spoiled, I thought, we're we're in big, big, big trouble. And I was telling everybody that I saw, we're in big, big, big trouble. Mm -hmm. I've seen all the metrics. And then this thing happened. And then I saw it happening in natural gas. And I was like, wow, this is amazing and cool. And we better get natural gas vehicles in the market as fast as possible. Because we're going to need them. I still think it's a really great idea and we should be doing that. Right. And then, but I thought, this is different. You're not going to fracture your way to producing oil. I can remember when we were on Spoiled, I had a, my, uh, one of my, uh, my camera guys asked me, well, what about this? Uh, I hear about this, all this oil in the Bakken. <laughs> and, you know, and I said, well, isn't this a bunch of oil in the Bakken? Why, how come we're not, you know, drilling for that? And I said, well, the problem, you, you can't get to it. Yeah. It's, you, you can drill, a, you can drill a well and then they can, pull it, but you don't have enough oil coming out because it's all trapped in these little pockets. Mm-hmm. So it's, it did, might mm-hmm. as well not be there. Right. And so then, you know, great futuristic thinkers, people like, you know, Harold Hammond Continental went in and, you know, improved that you could, you know, turn that drill bit and, and send it out horizontally and break through all that. I mean, it changed everything in just an astonishing way. People had no idea how close we were to the edge of the cliff. Yeah. Yeah. So what are you doing now? So you've got, you've got these two documentaries out, which by the way, I haven't had a chance to, to see it and I'm excited, but what, what are you, what do you got going on now? So when I finished Fractured, I told myself, well, I think that's probably it for me for documentary film. It's, it's just, it's exhausting, draining. It's just, you put so much into it. It's, it's fun. It's interesting. I enjoy doing it, but very difficult. So also, there was another problem in that you see how hard it is today to get people to read a book. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I'm a big book guy, so I'm always reading a book. But I'm unusual these days, and most people don't read. Or if they read a book, they're reading fiction. They're reading something for entertainment value. But to read a technical book, it's not, it's not common. 
pretty uncommon. Yeah, it's pretty uncommon. And and then you have, so a documentary film, that's a whole nother thing. When people want to see stuff, you know, I remember some guy I was screening, you know, and it's sort of an advanced version of Spoiled and, you know, we were still trying to raise some money and this guy looked, this guy, after we did it, this guy said, ah, my kids are never going to go see that. This is a guy in the oil and gas business. He says, ah, my kids are never going to see that. He goes, it's, they just want to see stuff blow up. And I thought, you're right. You know, we're still, we're still trying to make an, you know, a difference here. We're trying to explain things to people. We think we'll be able to get enough you know, push and people watching and talking. That's all our idea is open doors for people to think differently about the important stuff in life, most notably energy. But he was right. And it's really difficult to get people to, to watch, especially a full-length documentary feature in 90 minutes or a cut-down, you know, fit into an hour-long slot, which is typically your 50 to 52 minutes. It's tough, really tough. And so this concept, this idea that we do with Clear Energy Alliance is we produce short-run videos on energy topics. Mm-hmm. Do a lot of the same kind of stuff that we did with Spoiled and Fractured. We're explaining ideas in these sh- compact ways where it's not, you know, a minute where you, know, you can't. It's almost like a commercial. Yeah. You can't yeah. really attack an idea in a minute. At least I can't. So we wind up doing like four minutes and we, 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 we explain an idea. Here's what's going on with this thing. And you watch it in four minutes and you go, oh, wow, it's pretty amazing. So, you know, all different from all different kinds of, of subjects. Like we, we've got a video on a guy named Leo Bakeland. Mm-hmm. So he's one of the most important inventors that nobody's ever heard of. Bakeland invented synthetic plastic. So you think about life in the modern world and synthetic plastic. Um, yeah. So as I look around. It's everything. It, we're, we're talking into it. You know? <laughs> exactly. It's just, wow. Synthetic plastic is, is the modern world. Right. And so as I look at, you know, the big inventors and you're thinking, okay, Edison, yes, of course. And, you know, really big brains like Tesla mm-hmm. and, you know, Alexander Graham Bell and, you know, and diesel, of course. Yes, diesel. All these big names that we revere and we know we've heard these names of these guys who've done these incredible things, who've invented these things, you know, Marconi and, but Here's this guy who invented synthetic plastic. Yeah. And nobody's ever heard of him. <laughs> it blew my mind. You so, just blew my mind. So there so you we go. did a we did a four minute video on, hey, here's this guy's Leo Bakeland, and here's how he invented synthetic plastic and the most important inventor that you've never heard of. Yeah. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. That's a that's a very well rounded way of putting it. So that's, you know, a single video. So we'll do a video on that. We'll do, we do, we've got a video out on, uh, on computer modeling and how computer modeling for climate is really no better than a fortune teller mm-hmm. because of some basic fundamentals that are, that you have to have in science. So in science, you need to know what all of the elements are that go in the different factors that go into anything. Right. Okay. So, A, we know what all these factors are, okay? B, we know how all these factors act. And C, we know how all of these factors work with each other to create something. Okay, so if we apply that to climate, we know all of the different factors that affect climate. No, we don't, okay? 
that we understand how they all work. No, we actually really are at a great deficit. We don't understand cloud formation. We don't. Scientifically, it's still really a, a gray area here. Yeah. Okay. That's just one of the things. We don't understand you know, land use. Okay, so people want to talk about CO2 as if it's the end-all, be-all. Well, <laughs> I'm land, so glad you said that. <laughs> you've got land use. I mean, we've taken huge, I mean, Houston, huge amounts of property, and we've paved it over and put buildings on it. This is, you know, agriculture. All of these things are different inputs. I mean, oh, cows and all of their man, their methane. That's right. You know, you've got ocean currents that are on short and really long cycles. So we don't have we don't understand most of these things and what their impacts are to climate. Let alone CO two, a single one one element of many elements. And we don't understand that. And how do they? interact with each other to have some influence on climate. We don't, we no, we are nowhere near understanding that. Oh no. So here it is. These are three basic things in science, you know, identifying your factors, fully, fully knowing what all the factors are, right. how they work and how they interact with the other factors. We don't know any of these things. Yeah. And yet the public is being told that computer modeling is science. Right. And that, we can project, we can understand this to such a degree that we know what the what the climate is going to be 25, 50, 100 years from now. What? That is crazy talk. But yet the public is being told this as if it's fact. Yeah. So we've got a video that explains computer modeling and why computer modeling is not science and why it's no better than a fortune teller. Mm-hmm. And then we've got, you know, ones like on guys like Bakeland. And then we've got other ones on, you know, phony studies that are done on methane or, you know, lots of different topics like that. I have got, I have one, here's a concept piece. So I've got a concept piece coming out on clean energy. Why do we call wind and solar clean energy? I don't, I'm not actually, I'm actually not really certain about that. Nobody is because there, it's just, it's, this is the way it is in energy. I just want to know what it took to build those things. Those, yeah. How do you get those things? How do you get, yeah. How do you yeah. get those? But they're clean. That but, they, but it took the oil and gas industry, or the hydrocarbons to build these, these things. things. Yeah. But they're clean. But what, oh. how, but what, how, what, how do we define clean? So nobody even asked that question. How do we define clean? Well, okay. The basic definition, if you were to press most people, they would be like, well, basically we don't, we're not burning things to create this energy. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now I can, I can accept that. Right. Now let's, we'll set aside the fact that a lot of things were burned in order to create these, these things that are supposedly clean mm-hmm. and things will be burned to maintain these things that are supposedly clean. And they will also have to be replaced, which will require a lot of burning of things to do that. So we're just going to ignore that for now. Mm-hmm. Okay. But that, <laughs> that makes them clean. Well, oh. that's a really limited idea of what clean energy is. I have a different definition. What's your definition? So a clean energy source is something that would make your environment cleaner than if it were not being used. So like a, like a, like an air filter. Um, I'm trying to throw. Yeah, no, I mean, I I see what you're, I see where you're going, but I wouldn't, no, because that's not an energy source. It's a, it's a cleaning device. When you use the word and given the definition of it, it, 
recovering perfectionist. I'm just saying. <laughs> so clean energy would be actually, I mean, you, you see where I'm going. It would be oil, gas, coal, coal, dirty coal. You know what? Okay. If we weren't burning coal to make electricity, mm-hmm. okay, what, what would we, could we be making a podcast? Could the lights be on? I mean, coal still provides more than 30%. I think it's now it's down because of natural gas. All this is done by batteries. I'm just letting you know. Oh, okay. Yeah, right. (laughs) Batteries. We just just got that pixie dust in those batteries, and that's how it's all. Yeah, I'm playing devil's advocate. Yeah. Well, that's a poor job because, as you know, we have to create those batteries. Well, we use a lot of oil and gas making the batteries. Exactly. Some people think, you know, electricity comes out of the wall. But what, what makes it clean? It's a really, truly clean energy source will make the environment cleaner than if it weren't being used. Well, if we weren't using oil, if we weren't using natural gas, what would we be using? I mean, the plane that I came here on literally would not be able to get off the ground. Oh, no. If we did not have, I mean, all you think of everybody's luggage. Okay. All that's hydrocarbons, mostly natural gas, the, 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 the bins where you put your luggage. Okay. That's all plastic. That's, that's natural gas. Okay. Ethane. And you go through the entire plane and all the tubes and wires and everything. All this is, all this is natural gas or oil derivative. And then you've got, you know, jet fuel oil right. lifting the plane. I mean, okay. So if you weren't doing that, first of all, you, you wouldn't be able to fly across an ocean. You wouldn't be able to fly across a country. You wouldn't be able to do all of these things that we you can do now. You wouldn't be here right now. I wouldn't be here because I am over 50 years old and the lifespan of somebody who lived in even just a hundred years ago was significantly less than the age that I am now. An old person, an old person a hundred years ago was my, I mean, seriously old was my age now. Wow. You didn't have very many people living past the age of 60 and you get a 70 or 80 year old. That was an anomaly. Yeah. And for most of the history of the world, people didn't live to be past, 30 years old. Yeah. That was your average. And mm-hmm. then, I mean, there's all these other factors, you know, of course, yeah. that bring it down because you've got, you know, a lot of kids dying in childbirth, a lot of moms dying, but I mean, dying from accidents. I mean, your average lifespan was, was short, short. And that black plague thing really did a number. The plague thing is, you know, it's kind of a problem. Yeah. When you don't have modern medicine and how did we get modern medicine? I'm going to go with oil and gas. Yeah, that's how we did it. A lot of really smart people working in climate-controlled buildings, experimenting with different ways that we could make medicine help us in life. Aside from the fact that petroleum products are actually in the medicines themselves, but it created we created a society by which we could do these things. All of that is based on oil and gas. Mm-hmm. You know, people outside of the industry hear me say that they look at me crosswise and a lot of people that attack the industry they they think i'm the devil for saying these things i'm just stating facts and i appreciate those facts very much so and i and i hope that people will be able, and even it, you know i really wish people would have a little bit more of an open mind to hear the other to at least hear the other side and then not be a jerk about it when they don't agree with it well, it's one of the funny parts of what we do in making these videos for Clear Energy Alliance. Whether people are coming to our website or they come to our YouTube channel, there's a lot of people who will come and watch and they lose it because I'm introducing an idea that they find offensive. Well, 
okay. And almost none of them even attempt to provide an argument. They'll say, oh, this is total BS. This is propaganda. You know, who's paying you? You're, you know, you're a shill. You're the devil. And I'm like, okay, all right. So I get you don't like me. Make an argument. Take my argument Quit apart. Quit name calling yeah. and let's have a discussion. Just take my argument apart, okay? All right, so you're going to dispute the fact that oil is in everything. All right, right. you're going to dispute that verifiable fact. Oh, okay, no, you're not going to do that. You're going to break apart any piece of my argument. No, they, they can't and they won't. Now, we get into some things, you know, you're, you, know, you don't care about, you know, the planet, you know, this is the Trump card. Of course, they, they always right. come back to his climate change. <laughs> and, uh, it's like, it's now really reached what I think is cult status mm-hmm. where the cult believes in this stuff. So they're so ultra convinced and it's like, wow, I, I just want you for a moment to just step back and start walking through some of these, this, this questioning. Of what's going on. And I'm not here to say, you know what? Ah, oil, natural gas, coal. I don't think it's really having anything at all to do with the, with the climate. I, I don't say that. I think, uh, I think it probably does have some impact. How big is that impact? We have no idea. None. Womp womp. How would we, if we decided, if we actually did know, which we don't, and I don't doubt we ever will, how much of an impact these hydrocarbons are having on the planet's climate, overwhelming whatever adaptive ability, which the planet has amazing adaptive abilities. Okay, well, then what could we do? What should we do? What will we do? And the answers are pitiful. They're either a terrible sell on something that is completely impractical or a complete ignoring of the issue. It's like, oh, but we just have to, we just have to get off these things. Okay. I'm to explain to me how. Explain to me how you're going to tell China and India and Indonesia and most of the rest of the developing world. How are you okay? You people have been living in the dirt. You don't have air conditioning. You don't have electricity, most of you. Okay. And you're going to live like that forever. We're going to continue to live wonderfully the way we do in the West, but you people now, sorry. And that they would just accept that and say, okay, well, we're not going to burn coal or we're not going to, you know, buy your cars or we're not going to get air conditioning. Or we're not everybody boycott so-and-so company from this gas station, you know? What's that going to do? <laughs> A whole lot of nothing. Right. And so there's no, it's like, let's face the facts. Okay. This idea, the, the if you are coming at this from the the position of, CO2 emissions are going to wreck the planet. Okay, I don't particularly believe that. I don't believe that. But if that's your position, okay. Now, you do understand that the United States is the only country in the world that is driving down CO2 emissions. And why is that? Huh. The shale revolution, natural gas, displacing coal is what's driving those down. Not renewables, Mm -mm. okay? Because you have to back up every one of those industrial wind facilities and solar, big Mm -hmm. solar plants with a natural gas-fired power station because of the intermittency problem. So, but you're going to tell the third world you can't develop 
it's not, I mean, aside from it being no, that's not going to happen because, because they don't care and they have, but, but, uh, it's a matter of autonomy, the arrogance, these people are going to do what the heck they want to do because they have free agency and they want to develop. We're not stopping them. That's where all of the most, the vast majority of the growth of the use of fossil fuels is happening mm. in the developing world. So anything that we do today, you could shut down the United States of America. You could just put a bubble over it and say it's over. We're taking all these 325 million people out of the equation. It doesn't exist. And CO2 emissions are going to continue to rise because of the third world. And on that note, we're about 40 minutes in. Okay. Too much talking on Mark's part. No, it's okay. We had a lot of interruptions too. Anyway, if you had one piece of advice to give the audience, what would it be? Speak up. My God, speak up. That's the big problem that I keep running into is that I am, you know, have made a business out of speaking up and telling people about this stuff. So speak up. Well, okay. In order to be able to comfort comfortably speak up, you have to be comfortable. You, you have to have an idea that you can make a case. All right. That your people aren't going to throw something at you. That's going to trip you up and you're going to feel bad and foolish. And that's why I think a lot of people don't actually aggressively explain things. So you have to get educated. So I, as I mentioned, I'm a big book, book person. There's a lot of great books out there that you can read. But if you're not a big reader, I'm providing something for you. Yeah, Cl you are. Yes. Short videos, Clear Energy Alliance. So easy. You go there, you watch the video. And I'll make sure to provide a, a link in the show notes so everybody can have access to the, both the documentaries and all of the shorts. It's you educate yourself and then formulate an argument. I mean, I'm formulating arguments all the time. You formulate those arguments. You can take the arguments that I've formulated. That's what I really want you to do. Expand on them. Do what you want. But make the case. Don't just sit back and let other people make the case. Because the people on the other side who are trying desperately and have gigantic amounts of money are trying to shut down the vital energy sources that run our lives. They're, that's what they're trying to do. You've got to speak up. Get educated. Speak up. You know. You don't have to, I mean, there's no money involved for me. You don't have to give me a dime. Go watch the videos on our YouTube channel, on our website. If you're, if you, if you do YouTube, subscribe, that's be very helpful to us. Subscribe on our YouTube channel at Clear Energy Alliance and share, hit the share button and mm -hmm. send it to people so that they're watching. They then send it to other people. That's the beauty of the internet age, this whole sharing viral thing. Well, and I don't know if you're, you're up to date with a lot of the stuff going on with YouTube, but I would also recommend people turn on their notifications so you know when Mark's Clean Energy Alliance puts out a new video because people aren't getting stuff in their feed correctly. But make yeah. sure make sure that your notifications are turned on when you subscribe to Clear Energy Alliance, and every time and, and, and you can sign up even to our on our website you can sign up through our website and you will get an email notification if you sign up to our website on when we release a new video. We will not send you an email unless we are releasing a video. We're not going to sell no spam. We're not giving your your email address to anybody else. Right. We're keeping it for ourselves. And we, but we just want to notify you when a new 
new one has come out. Or you can do, like I said, subscribe, make sure your subscription, make right. sure that your subscribe notifications are on for YouTube and you can watch it that way. Perfect. Speaking of books, what book influenced you the most? It could be any book. You know, I think one of the early books that I read that was written by a guy, I think, I think he lives here in Houston, named Robert Bradley. Robert wrote, wrote a book called Energy, the Master Resource. It was really accessible for, for me, for somebody that I didn't know anything about energy at the time. And so uh -huh. he explained a lot of these things. Mm -hmm. I thought he did an excellent job. I mean, there's a, there's a, uh, uh, you know, Alex Epstein has written sort of mm -hmm. what, what would be a newer version of that book. Yeah. And so you know, the moral case for fossil fuels, you know, Michael Economides wrote many books that were, that were great. I mean, the color of oil was an excellent book. You know, Robert Bryce has a series of books. Uh, his, uh, it's been a while since his last one came out smaller, faster, denser. I can't, <laughs> it was a confusing title, but it was an excellent book. So yeah, but I think just it was really Robert Bradley's, this, this has been 15 years ago or more. I think the book's got to be 25 years old. But it had pictures and all kinds of stuff. It was so accessible. But Energy, the Master Resource, just a, wasn't that big of a book. And I thought it was terrific. It really did have a big influence on me. Awesome. What's your most used business tool? I would say my perspective. Ooh, I like that. I approach everything that I do in a way that I, I want to get people to think differently about all kinds of things. And because I do a lot in this, in this energy sector, I want people to think differently about, about energy and, yeah. and I provide them with ideas. I'm really an idea guy. So I want to explain I'm a big to fan you, of that. Yeah. That's, that's what I, that's what I really, what I do is I sell a perspective. I sell a different idea, the kind of idea that you've not heard before. And it gets you to think about, huh? I need to do my own thinking about that. That makes, that's interesting. I, you know, and provoke people to do their own research about things. Perfect. I don't know if this is necessarily applicable. Who's your most respected competitor? Do you even have a competitor? You know, really in the space that I'm in now, there isn't one. I, the, you know, Prager University puts out videos. Their thing is, you know, conservative videos on all different kinds of topics. So they, energy would be maybe, I don't know, probably le certainly less than 10%, maybe five or 8% of what they do even. And so they're, that's not, a, they're not a I'm not a competitor to them in that sense. They talk to, you know, millions of people, their videos get millions of views. Ours are going in that direction. You know, Minnesota blows billions. Our biggest video to date is in total views. Facebook, YouTube is well over 500,000 on our YouTube channel alone. It's about 280 and growing, continuing to grow. We're, but we're just a brand new startup. We just started this year putting our stuff out. So okay. we anticipate within, January, right? You said, yeah, this last January. So I, we anticipate that within a year or so we're going to, we're going to be pulling millions of viewers. So some of the people who talk about energy topics have done segments on PragerU, but outside of that, there's really not anybody putting out short video stuff on energy stuff. What's your most important lesson learned? Wow. Be humble. I'm somebody I speak with authority. Mm -hmm. I speak with conviction. It's because I am a, you know, a person who has great convictions. I, I spend a lot of time thinking through my arguments, but what can happen to you is if you, you have to still maintain some humility, I could be wrong. So I'm keeping an open mind. So no matter what the subject is, okay, I'm pretty sure this, there's a few things you're not going to move me. 
Yeah. You're, you're not going to move me off of the power of free markets. You're not going to move me off of capitalism. I've been spent decades working through these issues and I understand, okay, you don't like capitalism. Show me what else is better. What has ever been better in the history of the planet? And there's nothing there. Not only is there nothing there, there's nothing even close. So there's, a, there's a few concepts that you really can't move me off of, but not very many. I mean, I was absolute, when I first started making spoiled, I was absolutely convinced that peak oil was here. All the experts, everybody else, I was, they were saying the same thing. And I, because I wasn't in the business, I, I had no idea this big shale revolution was coming down the road. And I was like, holy wow. I mean, look at this. <laughs> I mean, change the course of the planet of all free and not free societies. This thing that is to, to this day woefully underappreciated for what it did, and I couldn't see that coming. So you have to have a certain amount of humility. Look, I'm I'm willing. I've got an open mind. You can persuade me. Bring mm -hmm. bring your argument. Bring bring reliable, as good as data as you can. But bring logic. Bring historical perspective. Bring comparisons. Bring all of these things and make your case. You can move me. And I'm willing to keep the door open. Yeah. I wasn't always willing to keep the door open, but I am about almost most things. Yeah. I think, I think it really just depends. It depends on the topic and it depends on your age, quite honestly, because after a certain point, I mean, it just. Well, I had people like, as an example, I had people when I was, when I was talking about spoiled, I would be in a theater, it'd be afterwards, we're doing Q and A and people would start yelling at me. Oh yeah. No, I got yelled at a lot. And I would allow them to yell a little bit and say, look, okay, we're going to, we're going to all be you know, nice to each other here. And we're going to talk, be civil. If you're not civil, then I don't have time for you. Be civil. And we would have a discussion. And then afterwards, a lot of times I'd be selling DVDs out in the lobby and they would come up to me and they would, we would wind up having these extended conversations with these people who really don't see the world the way I do. But I showed them, look, my mind is open bring your case and I'll listen. And then I will bring my case and I will hope to persuade you, but I'm listening to your argument and I, I'm bringing mine. I want, my goal is to persuade you, but you can get me to think differently about some things. You're probably not going to your wholesale change and uh, right. anything of mine, but you can move me, bring your argument. Yeah. Right. Not many people want to do that these days, but. Anyway. Yeah. So normally I ask what's your favorite podcast, but I kind of want to ask something different here and go, what's your favorite documentary? Wow. I want to tell you my, I'll tell you my favorite. Well, I don't even know what to call it. Is it a mockumentary? Uh, acceptable. Is it a documentary? I'll... This is a <laughs> weird one. You oh, may, may have never heard of this. It's called Exit Through the Gift Shop. I have heard of it. I just haven't yeah. watched it yet. And the fun part of Exit Through the Gift Shop uh -huh. is, is it a documentary? Is it a mockumentary? <laughs> is it something in between? <laughs> it's all about this guy, Banksy, who does street <gasps> art. Yeah, 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 yeah. And all so right, yeah. you watch it, and as you're watching it, you're going, you keep going back and forth on, what, what is this thing? So it's fun. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, like, you can do this stuff and you can have fun. But I mean, I've seen, a, you know, lots and lots of, of different documentaries. And there's, there's some really um, excellent ones out there. But that's one you can just watch and be totally entertained as you're uh -huh. trying to think through 
what is this thing? What are, they're playing with my mind. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. All right. So because I like our listeners to be uh, dressed well, be sure to go to www.bulwark.com forward slash podcast to win a Bulwark FR shirt and a base layer. No purchase necessary to win. See official rules for details. Thank you so much for joining me today, Mark. It was an pl- absolute pleasure. If people want to reach out to you and or get to know more about Clean Energy Alliance, where can they go? So you can come to our website at clearenergyalliance.com or like I said, our, our YouTube channel. We welcome people when they go to our website to send, send us emails, send us perspectives. We're always looking for, I have a stack of different ideas that I'm going to turn into videos. But I'm always open to people who are saying, look, here's an idea that you that you should do something on. I had this happen just a couple weeks ago. A guy contacted me, and I'm really interested in his idea, and uh, it's a big thing. Oh, good. And so I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna do a video I'm gonna do a video on it. So we like the uh, we like the feedback, you know, comments, suggestions, compliments. We don't get many of those because people who are really enjoy what you're doing yeah. they tend to like enjoy it and then move on yeah and the people that <laughs> don't like the message you're bringing oh they'll hunt you down huh yeah. i actually <laughs> i would love to do at some point in time i have an idea about maybe doing my own podcast but i have a segment that i would want to do called video vomit <laughs> that's fantastic all about all the vomit that gets put down on my videos by oh. people who really don't like hearing hard facts presented in an engaging and entertaining way. Oh, I have some, we'll have to talk later, but anyway, we got to get to this happy hour. Cause I keep getting text messages and all kinds of stuff. I know about I'm out the, over here. I am too. So uh, that concludes this episode. So just remember, it's up to you to open the next door. Tune in next week for another intriguing episode of Bulwark's Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, a production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasindustryleaders.com.